Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome, I'm Elaine miller Karras, and this is Resiliency Within. Um, I also would like to let you know that we're on Facebook Live at Resiliency Within. So this month, we celebrate Black History Month. Its theme for 2022 is Black Health and Wellness. And the 2022 theme considers activities, rituals, and initiatives that Black communities have done to be well. And I can't think of a better guest to address some of these issues today than Bernita Walker, who is the CEO and co-founder of Project Peacemakers, Inc. She will share the wealth and wisdom of her experience as a violence prevention practitioner, an intimate partner violence survivor, and a retired deputy sheriff for the County of Los Angeles. She will address what she calls the truth on how to not become a victim of intimate partner violence. She will share the way to become a survivor and the reality of being what she calls a thriver of domestic violence slash intimate partner violence. Um, she has been in the field of, I'm just going to call it D-IPV for over 42 years, where she began by co-founding the Janice Center Shelter for Battered Women and their children in South Los Angeles. Presently, she serves on the City of Los Angeles Domestic Violence Alliance, where she has been a member since its inception in 1994 and the co-chair of the Domestic Violence and Religion Committee for the Los Angeles County Domestic Violence Council. She was selected recently for the DA, the District Attorney's African-American Advisory Board and the District Attorney's Inaugural Governance Board for South Los Angeles. She is a native Angelino residing in the Ninth District 69 years of her life and a graduate of USC and School of Public Administration. She's also a member of the Prince Hall Masonic Family for over 53 years, where she served in the highest female office for the state of California as Grand Worthy Matron. Ms. Walker also recently became a community resiliency model teacher. So as we get started, Bernita, what is on your mind today? Oh, love. <laughs> Well, tell love. us a little bit about love. Tell us a little bit why that's on your mind today. Well, because well, number one, because that's what we should do. I also am a woman of faith, and we are told and taught that we are to love everyone. We may not like their actions, but we are to love everyone. If we loved everyone, then we would not be in the situation that we're in now. And that's with all the distrust, all of the anger, all of the negative things that we're seeing, it's, it's in my opinion, ridiculous. And um, if we just loved more, love is the answer. It really is. And we need to do that more often. I'm in a study right now, training right now, as a matter of fact, for that uh, program that's called Love is the Answer. And it's talking about, though, actually the connection or the, um, the connection between law enforcement and between the community, because we don't see it enough. And it has been proven to using that as well as the community resiliency program. Those types of programs 
that work to bring us together the way we should be instead of the way we are. Yeah, so the, I, I, love, I love that you said love and that um, how we come together because we certainly both, you and I are both about the same age. We've seen a lot in the last few years. We've seen a lot in our lifetime. But I think it has been particularly difficult of late, and that's kind of how we started talking. You were taking a community resiliency model uh, training class, and uh, I, my daughter was one of the trainers, and she says, you've got to come and meet Bernita. And so, if you remember, I popped in so we could meet because she told me, I think you two ha- are very similar souls in terms of how you look at the world. I don't, I don't know what that is. So, anyway, maybe we can talk about that. But I guess before we do that, I also want to find out a little bit, um, it's clear to me that you're, that you're passionate about the work that you do in the world. And what, yes. what is it about your lived experience that expi- and has inspired your work in your community? Well, as you mentioned when, when you did the introduction, I am an in, intimate partner violence survivor. And because of that, um, I feel that it is my purpose. I feel that's the purpose. Okay, let me go back. I said I was a woman of faith, okay? Yes. And, and because of my faith, I believe that each of us has a purpose in life. As many of us don't know what it is, we're still trying to find it. But I was brought to mind because of what I went through, my experience, what I went through, as far as being a victim of domestic violence, intimate partner violence. So that's why I have the passion. I know it does not have to exist. And I know that it exists because we have not been taught the right way about a number of things. That's why I talk about the truth. You know, that's the reality of it, if we live the truth. So as a, as a survivor... Um, I guess, and a thriver, because um, I can see that that's a trajectory that you talk about. Um, was there a moment that you can remember that you knew when you were maybe faced with the, the darkest times that you knew that you were going to get out of this and that life was going to be different for you? Can you remember and share a l- little bit about that with us? Okay. My first experience with domestic violence, I was 14 years old. And my abuser was a 15-year-old that I was dating. Hmm. He put knives to my throat and guns to my head to keep me from talking to kids that I had grown up with from elementary school because we had just met in junior high. And sometimes we think, oh, this person really, really cares for me when they do things like that. They don't want me to speak to anybody else. They don't want this. They don't want that, you know. And I didn't know what I knew, know now. If I had known that, that I never would have gotten involved with him because of the actions. I didn't see the red flags because there were no red flags. We didn't know. We didn't talk about red flags. No, and I don't think we talked about it at all back then where I, we talk about it more now, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen now. Exactly. And the thing is, is that uh, for me, I promised myself, then that I would never allow this to happen to me again. We didn't have a, a label on it. You know, it didn't have a label. But I did, never wanted to live in that situation again. And I did great for 14 years. And then at 28 is when I got involved with the LAPD officer. And I did not know that he was abusive. Again, if I had known the, the signs, I would have never gotten involved with him. Because he showed them from the first night we went out on a date. But I brushed it off like many of us do. You know, we go, oh, he's just he's just anxious because this is our first time together and he doesn't know how I'm going to respond. So I made excuses for him in my own mind. 
And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. After about a year of going with him, uh, dating him, and all of the tactics of domestic violence that I went through, on October the 12th, um, 1974, I believe it was, was when he uh, put his hands on me. Oh, my. Why do I remember? Yeah, why do I remember the day? Because that was my niece's wedding day. My niece and I are only four years apart. My brother was 16 Uh years older than me. And that was her wedding day. And uh, when he did it, it was a shock. And I knew that I had to get out of whatever it was immediately. And so I began to, I went to God first and prayed and asked him to get get me out of this. Tell me what to do. And he told me, tell him to leave you alone. And I go like, yeah, right. You see how this idiot is acting? <laughs> well, and also he's him? also in law enforcement. That's a little bit also another whole element of, okay. of fear, right? Another whole element of fear. Because I don't, you don't know. You just don't know. And then uh, uh, I went through that for another year. And then uh, it happened again. So I went back to God and asked him again, what do I do? And he told me the same thing. Tell him to leave you alone. And I actually cursed at God because I, t- I said, there you go with that same stupid stuff again. Give me yeah. something better than that. Three months later, it happened again. And I went back to God and God told me the same thing. Tell him to leave you alone. I said, okay, I am. I decided that I would die getting out instead of die staying in. Oh, so you would die getting out instead of die staying in. That's a very powerful statement. So that was what that came was out of choice. That was your choice. So then you left. No, he left. He left. Yeah. Okay, so he left. He left. Oh, he left. <laughs> All right. We and didn't. Look. We didn't live. We didn't live in the same location. Okay, so he so, left town. All right, so he left. So he left. He left. But see, the reason why he left. Uh, well, I'm thinking. Uh, the, the last time that he had physically abused me, I was laying on the couch with my right hand. I'm right-handed, and at the time, I was a deputy sheriff for the county of Los Angeles. So. I had my right hand under my pillow and I thought he had, he thought, I thought that he thought I had my weapon, my service weapon underneath the pillow because he did not turn his back on me. As he was walking out, he backed out the front door and the front door was on the same side of my, where my couch was. Ah, I see. He literally backed out the door, never taking his eyes off of my right hand. Well, and I'm just kind of humbled by the story, Bernita, because here you were a deputy sheriff. And so you are a person who could defend herself. And yet this happened. And I I think this is an important um, segue um, because this can happen to anyone. I remember when I was teaching anyone, I was um, a teacher of family medicine. And there was a, a question that was on the exam for the young doctors. And it says, what are the risk factors for, um, domestic violence or intimate partner violence. And the answer was um, really being, was being a woman of any age, of any economic class. Um, so not to say that it doesn't happen to men too, or people that maybe mm-hmm. consider them tra- themselves mm-hmm. transgender. But um, I think this is a very important segue in for everyone who's listening to understand that if they're living in this kind of situation. So right. I think 
that's, you know, we've kind of prepared some questions together. And there's a belief that all victims of IPV were raised in a household where it happens frequently. This, if this was, um, this doesn't sound like this was your experience. Would you, th- would you share that with us? Sure. My parents loved each other. And I mean, they showed it on a regular basis. I was born 11 years after they married. So they were well into their relationship. But my father called my mother mama and my mother called him um, daddy. So the relationship between them was just exquisite for me. My father was a musician also. And so I traveled with my parents when I was younger. So I started school. My mother and I traveled with my parents all the time. Uh, so I had that communications with them. But um, um, and my parents, my father was 36 when I was born and my mother was 32. And they were married for 11 years. I don't know if I mentioned that before yes. I was born. Yeah. And for those yeah, days, so, that wasn't necessarily common. Many people had their children mm-hmm. younger. So, um, but they showed love. So I think that's an important thing for people to not make assumptions about, exactly. oh, this must have been this and this is why this happened. Um, so mm-hmm. that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So what, what age- happened to me? Go ahead. Ele- yeah, go ahead. Let me say this. What happened, yes. what happened to me, Elaine, is that my mother and father assumed that I knew uh, that I was okay with myself, put it that way. I had difficulties with low self-esteem, but they didn't know that because they didn't see that in me. I would get up on stage and dance with my father. I was in dancing school and I was active at the the, uh, elementary school I attended, everything. So they didn't see low self-esteem in me. But when I was around the kids from my school, they saw that and they picked on that. And so that was something that got embedded to you and that do you think that made you more susceptible? So when um, even at 14 and then what you said, you know, 13, 28 years, when you were 28 years old, that made the kind of ground there so that you're more susceptible to these things happening to you? Exactly. Wanting to be loved, wanting Wanting. to be liked. Okay. Okay. Wanting to have a boyfriend when all your other girlfriends had a boyfriend and you didn't. So, so immediately I thought that there was something wrong with me. I see. And so at what age are, are most exposed to intimate partner violence? Is there a particular age or is it the whole field? It all, it's the whole field. We have kids that are dating now in elementary school, which is... Elementary school? Elementary school. You know, you always hear parents ask about, you got a boyfriend? You got a girlfriend? You know, they think it's cute and it's not because of what it suggests to them that they have to have somebody in their life and they don't. And when they don't have the maturity to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner. Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, I'm I'm wondering if you could share with us um, the cycle of violence and you have some, you have your own um, version of the cycle of violence. And can you let us know a little bit about that? Because I think that that would be very helpful for our listeners who may be in this cycle and not know how to get out of it or not even realizing they're in it. Okay. Uh, as most people know, the cycle of violence has three parts. It, is, uh, crea- it was created by Dr. Lenora Walker, no relation. And um, the first section, she named it Honeymoon. The second section was tension building. And then the third section was explosion. 
Well, in my mind, you can't have a honeymoon unless you are married. Okay, that's where the honeymoon comes in. So I choose to call it hooking in. Myself and some of my other friends, like Gail Pinkus and some others that I, uh, we call us the OGs in the, in the domestic violence arena. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and so it's hooking in because there are acts that the pursuing partner is doing to the uh, individual that they're trying to hook up with to get that person hooked into what that relationship is. It's a lot of lies that are being told are half lies, half truths. Many times there's no truth. I'll tell you real, real quick, real quick. There was a young lady who married a young man who uh, had been in prison. And she said that she knew everything about his time there. So when she met his grandmother, his grandmother asked, she says, uh, do you know that my grandson was in prison? She says, sure. He told me all about it. And so she said, did he tell you why he was in prison? She said, sure, it was some kind of misunderstanding and blah, blah, blah. She said, oh, so he didn't tell you that he was there for killing his girlfriend. Oh, my. And she said, no. So that's why I say half truths. You have to understand the whole story. You have to understand where individuals come from. So that's what the hooking in is. Because they're going to watch a person. Um, Many of the abusers, they are just trained in themselves and the sharing of the conversations that are going through. They are trained to uh, look for certain type of partners. Watch people's actions. This is on both sides. That's why I'm using the term abuser and partners. Yes. On both sides. Well, so the uh, the other thing that I want to ask you about, because you talked about your parents really loving each other. And Uh so I do think also that if you have really loving parents and you have they have exhibited um, ways where you trust them that when you do, you know, you're looking for a partner that there is a a propensity to trust that person when you come from that background or does that have anything to do with it at all? Hmm. I don't know. I don't think it has a a lot to do with it. Let me put it this way. Okay. Because of still, you don't know how that individual is feeling about themselves. You don't know what they may have come up with about themselves that would allow them to be in a relationship that's I abusive. See. So when you talk about hooking in, this is also a time where there may be flattery. Um, is this a time where you might get chocolates and flowers? Promises. And you, exactly. Promises. You're the most beautiful person on earth. We're going to get married um, or whatever I've, that I've might been, work. Right. I've been looking like I've been looking for a partner like you all of my life. Yes. So that you're, you feel special. Okay. Right. And you and 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 people right. dive into much. that. Very much so. Yeah. And so then once you're hooked in That's then, part of the hook. And so what's the tension building part? The when the truth starts coming out. When the truth starts about coming out about how that okay. person would. And so and and so what yeah, might they do? Yeah, when the truth do? starts coming out, you know. And what might they do? I mean, would they uh, say, "Oh, you can't wear that dress or you have to walk differently or you need to make sure that everything looks this way in, in our apartment or whatever it might be. Uh, Where are you going? How long are you going to be gone? Who are you going with? Who are you talking to on the phone? I saw your car uh, uh, three blocks away the other day. What were you doing there? All of those types of questions as to control the victim 
into doing, uh, staying in line. And so, and what's happening to the person who's being abused when this is happening, that they're trying to control you more? What, what, what was, what, like when you were going through this experience, what's going on inside of you? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Sometimes you're feeling like that's not really it, but I don't want to get in an argument. So I'll just agree with it. You know, you just accept it. Well, why would they say that? Or uh, you would question it, but then you didn't want to ask them because you had seen them be negative towards you in the first place. So you, you just kind of go into a shell of your own. You decide that you'll stop talking to your friends. Uh, it's sort of like, if I may, um, Sleeping with the Enemy, one movie. Yes, I remember that movie. Okay, there's another one that uh, was about a young lady who lived in... Um, I cannot think of it. Anyway, she, she, her mother told her, he is a violent person. You do not need to be with him. And the young lady took up for him, not recognizing that he was that type of individual. Um, most of the stories that I, I have, of course, are men abusing women, but there are plenty of women who abuse men. Yes. And, and, and also forget about that. And also people that are in same-sex relationships, women who abuse women and men who abuse other men. So um, right. I think that's really important for people to understand that as well. But so if a person, um, you know, one of the things that I think would be important are the warning signs. You know, mm-hmm. how do I know that I'm in a relationship with someone that could be abusive? So if a person, as you're explaining, if they're trying to control you and asking you questions to kind of make your life smaller, that's not a good sign, is it? No. The, those, are, those are red flags, as we call them. The red you flags. Know, to, and are, those are red flags. That's are there other you. red flags, Bernita, that people need to know about? Oh, yes. There are a lot of financial red flags, you know, where the, um, the partner, this the one that's being abused, is doing all of the support. There's nothing shared uh, financially. Where is that? individuals funds going who's controlling that that's one major part of it uh, right down to what you can eat no i don't want you to eat that because that that might uh, cause you a problem i think you would be better to eat this over here you know it's just so many avenues we have a sign we have a um, form that says 15 warning signs of abuse and it would be great for individuals to look at that we should give that out at our 40-hour training classes every year and uh, whenever I speak, I use that. It's 15 warning signs of abuse. And so are there any others that you think are especially, I imagine all 14 are important, but are there any that you would really want to highlight for us right now as people are listening? Um, I wish I had it in front of me. I don't have it in front of me. Okay, well, um, that's, that's okay, because we're going to get let people know how to get in touch with you at the end of the show so that they can um, get this these 14 warning right. signs. And I'd be glad to send it to them. I'd be okay. glad to send it to them because they really need to to read it and read it and read it. Okay. Uh, things saying things like, "Oh, you don't want that job. That job is not any good for you. You could just stay here. I'll take care of you." Limiting their communications with other individuals. So putting like, them down, the verbal abuse. Putting down or like, you know, I was wondering too if like a person says, "Well, I don't really want you to work." Um, 
would that be a warning sign if they want to take away your gainful employment so that you're totally dependent yes. on them? Yeah. Yes, that is one of them. That is one of them. Yeah. So there, like I said, there is more than 15, but those are some that just stick right out. And, and so, uh, so what, after the tension building, then what, what's the explosion and how can you tell it's going to happen? Or is it like you have to walk on eggshells and all of a sudden tell us about the explosion okay. phase? The explosion phase is when the individual that's the abuser has had enough. It's had enough of trying to get the victim to do what it is they want them to do and they're still getting some uh, pushback. Or it could be that the uh, victim may be involved with uh, alcohol or drugs. And if those substances take over that person, the abuser could attempt to um, beat the alcohol out or the substance out to make them again be strictly dependent upon them. The, the explosion, it could be a, a, a shove, it could be a slap. A lot of people, a lot of victims are strangled and most people will call it choking, but you choke on a piece of meat. Strangulation is when someone puts their hands around your throat mm -hmm. or they put a ligature around your throat and it's not just choking you to where you can't necessarily breathe. It's all the other things that come behind it because of the lack of oxygen to your brain, because so, uh, of what might be injured Right. Here. So I think it's important. So some of the abuse, um, you know, we could say, well, it's like minor, you could be pushed or shoved, but it's really important for our listeners to know that it could, it can really be something that they're losing control that how do you, how do you know they're not going to lose ultimate control and that strangle becomes the person dies. And we see the, this happening all the time, reading the news where this happens to many individuals. So it's let me really, say this. Yes, go ahead. Let me, let me just put this in right quick. The pressure that is needed to strangle someone or just cause the, the actions, reactions to the strangulation is just like a strong handshake, a strong handshake. That's all. That's all. So the pressure is, that's all. The pressure is not that heavy. So we want to make sure that our listeners know as we're getting ready to take our break is that there is help available. If you're living in a situation and if all of a sudden you're listening to Bernita and saying, oh my gosh, that is my life, that we are going to be giving you uh, numbers at the end of the show in places where you can call for help. You can always call 911 if you're um, not sure and the people that answer 911 can help you. Um, I also have known many people who would have, um, uh, like in their phone, they might have, oh, a, f a friend's name, but it was really 911 because they knew that if they needed to call, they needed to do it quickly because keeping you safe in a situation that's volatile that, or that, that's escalating, this is something that's very important, maybe very important to save your life. Um, because the other thing that I think we've, we've learned in our experience is that sometimes um, even your ways of communication get, can be taken away from you. So it's, it's very important that you have um, a safety plan and figuring out a way out. And we'll talk more about that when we come back from the break. But I'm, Bernita, thank you so much for um, sharing what you've shared so, so far because I think that um, people also sometimes don't realize that they're in this situation. 
until it gets to the point where there it's so critical and in crisis. And I, I'm hoping too that when we get back from the break that you'll share a little bit with us too about children. I've talked to many women in my years that sometimes they wouldn't leave the abuser for themselves, but when it started spilling over to the children, that's when sometimes people took their first step. Um, but there's so much more to that, and we'll talk more with Bernita Walker as um, when we return from the break. And I really want to make sure that our listeners know that there is hope available and there's also help available. The two H's, hope and help. And we'll talk more about that when we come back from the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine Miller Karras book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine Miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I'm here with Bernita Walker. 
um, the CEO and co-founder of Project Peacemakers, Inc. She is an expert on helping individuals who um, are experiencing domestic violence or intimate partner violence. And we have been talking about um, the, the cycle of violence. And one of the things that we want to continue the conversation on is children. And can you say something about children that are maybe growing up in homes where the violence is happening and whatever you think is important for our listeners to know, um, Bernita? Well, the first thing I want to say is that children are very precious and that they need to be protected in all, uh, all ways and in, in any avenue that they can. It is better, in, in the opinion of all of us, really, that if you are in a domestic violence relationship, an intimate partner violence relationship, and your children are observing you, which nine times out of 10, they are. 99 times out of 100, they are. However, whatever ratio you want to use, they are listening to you at all times and they are watching what you're doing. And they pick that up. They can help them to either do better or worse, especially in their actions at school. A lot of children watch individuals being bullied on a regular basis. And a lot of kids are being bullied. There are things that are saying, being said to children by their parents that are causing them to feel not good about themselves, which opens them up to be abused by other individuals mm -hmm. because they're feeling like, well, my parents said I was dumb. My parents said I was ugly. My parents said I was stupid, whatever it was. And kept pushing it and you'll never be anything. And they take that because my parent, this is my parent that supposedly loves me is saying this about me. So it must be true. And they take that and they put it into their makeup and they, it just weans on it. I remember the, the young man when I was 14, but I met his parents. Well, I met his mother because his father was not around. I met his mother and she had married someone else at the time. And I saw why he was acting the way that he was because of how his mother was treating him at home. She was very abusive to him. And I could see that in him. I said, oh, my God. And then he had an uncle that he ran around with who was um, not abusive, but not was, I don't, I'm trying to think of the right word to really use, um, was not kind uh, to those that he was around. So he was picking up these bad habits and it helped to, to put him in a place where he should not have been. So our children, they learn everything that they learn from us. They watch us, you know, they hear with their, with their, they don't just hear with their ears, they hear with their eyes and vice versa. So they're little minds that really need protection so, too many of us had our children too young. I want to say that, just say that. Well, and I too think many that, of us had our children too young. And sometimes I know I've spoken to some parents that say, well, I don't think he really knows what's going on. And my experience with kids is they know what's going on. And their um, interpretation about what's going on, too, may not be correct. Because sometimes if they see the arguments are happening between their, the, their mother and their father, for example, they may think they caused the problem. And sometimes the, one of the person who is being abused does things to protect the children. 
And mm-hmm. so it may have been some of the causation of the argument, but that doesn't mean it's the child's fault. And right. so then you, the child's carrying then also the shame and the guilt of feeling like, well, if I wouldn't have said this, then mommy wouldn't have said this to daddy and daddy wouldn't have hit mom. So I just right. really want people to hear that, you know, in terms of what you're saying is so important. And also to know that there are shelters that will take families. And so that if right. you are in a situation, I mean, this is true in many parts of the United States. I know that in some countries, there also are systems of support, not in every country, but that um, children are picking up what's in, in the house. And then they can become, sadly, sometimes they become the abusers in the next generation. So I want to talk a little bit about that, actually. Um, so in terms of the development of abusers, I mean, we're talking a little bit about it now. And it seems to me, too, that not only do we need to have protections and safety for people who are being abused, but how do we stop the abusers? How do we help them? Do you have ideas about that, Bernina, in your experience? In, in the state of California, and I believe it's all over the United States at this point, uh, there are batterers treatment programs, and they have them for male and female, you know, so that um, regardless of what side, and they have them also in the LBGTQ community as well. So that's one avenue. Uh, there are other avenues that can be put in place. For instance, um, faith base. It's very important that pastors, priests, uh, rabbis, uh, uh, imams understand the issues about domestic violence so that they can properly assist their families in their congregation. Schools, if the, 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 they had more information in schools about domestic violence and not to brush it off. We've had reports of teachers literally talking down to the children and the, their children are already going through something and they don't know what the child is going through, but yet they're putting the child down. That creates other things. This is, it's just a conglomerate of things that need to be addressed that we're not addressing. And we're working on it in the uh, field of domestic violence. We are working on it, but it's a long road. Well, so could you maybe talk a little bit about um, what would you identify some persons or professions you just did a little bit that you believe can turn the issue of IPV around? Now, I noticed that you're on a committee of religious leaders. Um, I, I didn't know that even existed. So that's that's in the county of Los Angeles where in the county from, of Los Angeles. So can you tell us a little bit more about that coalition of individuals that come together? And I mean, maybe there are other communities around the world that might want to think about doing something similarly to what we're doing in L.A. Well, what, what the committee is about right now, we are working on um, learning more about the different faith groups or the different spiritual groups so that we can properly address their congregants who might call in to the shelters for safety. And that's very important because we don't want to um, condemn anyone. We want to help. So we need to know fully about what's going on. So that's our main thing right now. We have been teaching for a number of years, the clergy community, um, so that they have information in order to address. The hardest problem is getting them to get the information. The uh, Another problem is the... Um, oh my God, the clergy consuls are not working together in the different faith groups as well. So these are the issues that we're trying to close the gap. In Los Angeles, we have 
two clergy councils that I know of that are out of Department of Mental Health here in Los Angeles. And then there are other um, groupings for the different. Um, so the so the clergy councils then are trying to be able to share with other clergy members, right, that these are some right. things that we've done in terms of getting the education to our congregants so that. Yes. So it sounds to me that, you know, I kind of want to, I'm hearing, it really needs to be a groundswell. It's not only the peacemakers for and other organizations that right. are working towards um, helping to end domestic violence, but it's how, you know, what are the faith leaders doing? What is the county mental health doing? How are people working together? But I guess I, I also want to you to share a little bit about, um, I think the County of Los Angeles has, the law enforcement has changed. Could you tell us a little bit about that change? Because I know there's advocates and that's a really important, uh, I think, part of what's changed. Right. Well, one of the things uh, for the last 25 years that I know of, there are DART programs that are in the County of Los Angeles, City of Los Angeles. The DART program is Domestic Abuse Response Teams. I know that they have them in Alaska as well. Uh, we have some in Canada. They are all over. And what this team is comprised of is a trained domestic, at least one trained domestic violence advocate and one trained officer in domestic violence. The best operation is to have at least two cars one that goes to the scene to uh, first contain the scene and then to bring the dark car in. It's, it needs to be set up as a separate unit, not just a dark car, but a full unit, just like they have juvenile unit, robbery unit, homicide unit. It needs to be a domestic violence, inter- intimate partner violence unit so that it can be properly addressed. If this was done properly, if this was done correctly, then the crime numbers would go down because many of the individuals that are committing crimes are persons who have gone through the abuse as children or as a teenager. They've been raised up in those type of houses and they have anger inside of them and they don't know any other avenue to get uh, released from it because it hasn't been identified yet. Well, and I guess that brings me to my next question is that you became, we met because you became a community resiliency model teacher. And, you know, part of the skills of the community resiliency model is hopefully to help people who may have had a lot of trauma, who may have anger. There are specific skills that can help get the anger out of your body. So hopefully that you don't um, act out on your family members or your community. Can you talk a little bit about your um, experience with the community resiliency model and what your vision is? Because I know when we've spoken before, you had a lot of ideas, Bernita, about what you wanted to do. So can you help me understand what you <laughs> what you want to do for the for our Voice America folks? Uh, she's got a big old smile on her face right now. So I'm just going to, okay, I'm going to say, okay, what? Let, let me know what you're thinking, Bernita. Okay, what I'm thinking is that more people need to understand the community resilience model. That's the first thing. They need to understand that there are triggers that we have inside of us that are not always gauged toward what we're thinking. And so we need to be able to understand what that trigger is, identify it, and when it comes up, already have in place some resources that we can use to calm that down and to get us grounded again. 
That's the and, main thing is to keep us grounded. Yeah. So I think that when you're talking about, it's not just triggers that, that uh, affect our thinking, but there's sensations inside of us that happen. And sometimes if they get sparked, then we have a reaction that may get ourselves into trouble or someone else might be hurt because of that. Exactly. So, our brain is very tricky. <laughs> our, 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 you know, our bi- biological parts of us are very tricky and we don't understand them because we're really kind of going on our emotions and not thinking about the biological part that those emotions kick up or pull up, you know, and what frustrates us so much. And then we start having these biological situations that are going on inside of us. So we have to learn how to back away, think about it, find something, as I said, about the resources that will take you away from that. You know, a lot of us do. We count. We count. You know, <laughs> so we, like we'll count 10, 9, 8, 10, 7, uh, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. It can be, I mean, I, just, take I just did that fast, breath. right? So if we can right. learn how to calm the biology, it also exactly. can calm the emotions and it can also mm-hmm. bring clear thinking on board. And I think that's, that's my, what we both have exactly. seen and what we've been excited right. about when we, when you had shared your ideas, you know, with us, especially with all the, you know, places that you're involved with in the County of Los Angeles and how that might be able to impact people in a different way. Because I think, Definitely. you know, one of the things that I get concerned about is, you know, how do we put the brake on it? And, you know, also right now, there's so much divisiveness in the country. Uh-huh. And I know we started out by talking about love, um, but sometimes people don't feel very loving towards each other. Exactly. And that's the reason that they don't is because they really don't love themselves. Right. And so okay? this is, that's, yeah. that's the whole key. Yes. You have to learn to love yourself. If you, even going back to what we were talking about as far as uh, going through domestic violence, if I had loved myself back then, then I would have known that that was not healthy for me. But because I didn't, I let that negativity slip in. So after I learned about loving myself, then I go like, no, uh-uh. I know I, <laughs> I love me too much to go through that. I don't need to be taught how to be who I am because you don't really know who I am. You know, that situation. So it's, it's, it's right on time. Well, and so I think that's why, you know, we're certainly dedicated to that right now because, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, oh, you need to love yourself, but how do we love ourselves? And if we're exactly. growing up with the messages, like you're saying, if, you know, when you talked about the 14, 15 year old that you were dating when you were 14, he wasn't getting the message from his mom that he was loved or that he had any self-esteem and he was turning that around and it was coming at you. Right. And then you had the wherewithal, you know, but you had a different upbringing than he did that you were able to get out of that. And yet it happened. Right. And then yet it happened again. I mean, 14 I, years later, 14 years later. And so I'm really appreciate. I feel very grateful to you, Bernita, because I th- I know all the things that you do in the world and all the things you've accomplished, that this can happen to everyone, anyone, everyone, yes. anyone can be a victim. Anyone, anyone can be a victim anyone. at any age, at, at any, any age, at any age. Elaine, we have had so many reports of uh, individuals who were sexually abused by their family members. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that has given them that Trump traumatic experience that is very difficult to grow out of. 
because they thought that this person loved them. So it's very difficult to get involved with someone else who really does love them because of all that they've gone through. Right. And that's what we talk about being trauma informed, knowing that something happened to them that may have created really the ground for someone to jump into it and to then further harm you. Um, Exactly. So, you know, I want also people to know again about how to get help. Um, But I also want to help, Maybe say a few words. Let's say you're a, you're, your child is in a relationship and you can see the abuse. Is, what, would you, what kind of advice would you give to family members that can see their child as being abused by their partner and maybe they're feeling a bit helpless? What, what do you suggest? I would suggest getting into counseling of some sort okay. uh, with the, um, the, the child, the youth, and, and themselves that someone is out there that can give them that information and work with them. Find out what's happening with your child. Don't yell and scream at them about, you shouldn't have let that person do that. No, find out what the problem is. We have a tendency to not ask individuals, how can we help you? I see that there's something amiss. How can I help you? Instead of yelling at them, you know better than that. You shouldn't have. That's not the way to go about it. That's just going to demean them worse than what they're already feeling. So trying to find someone who can give counsel to the family and to the person who's in it, if they're, if they're willing to do that, but I'm I'm hearing don't, don't shame them because they probably have enough buckets of shame around them living with the perpetrator, um, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. abuser, that that's just going to contribute, that's going to contribute to more because every now and then, you know, you'll see in the news, Oh, I knew that he was bad. I tried to get her out of there and she wouldn't leave him. And, right. and she ends up either very injured or sometimes dead. And yeah, course, people don't understand. And I, I know we have to hurry up. Yeah. But people don't understand what others have gone through. They don't know what others have gone through because they've only with, with that other person when they're with that other person. But what's happening on the side for that person could be very dangerous to them and exposing them to all of this negative activity. Well, and then the other thing that I have heard, and I would really love to have you weigh in on this. I've had I remember when, when I was a social worker in the hospital and she had come in because she'd been beaten and I went in and talked to her and she said, and I said, you know, we have all these different programs, blah, blah, blah. And she says, you don't understand. She goes, I can't leave him because he'll, he'll kill my family. And I got to stay with him because she goes, it's real. I know what he can do. And so I just have to take it. So I imagine you've heard the same stories, Bernita, over and oh, over yes. again. Oh, yes. So, I yes. mean, some people, you know, that time when a person, if they do choose to leave, sometimes can be the most dangerous time. So what, that's why it's best to not get in it in the first place. <laughs> yes. You know, really to avoid know it. The in the, yes. So get to know really that person. Know the person. Really know that person. Don't just assume that what they're saying is true and that they're just this fantastic person that you've been waiting for all your life. You have to get to know the person. So do you, do, you, okay. do you think people should do background checks or, you know, how do you get to know that person? It takes time to get to know someone. That's the whole point. See, they don't take time. You can't meet somebody today and marry them tomorrow. Although my parents almost did that, but you can't do that. <laughs> it worked for okay. them. <laughs> yes. it, it did. They it doesn't were, work they knew for each everybody. Other 10 days. It doesn't work for everybody. They did. They knew, they knew each other 10 days. They got married. Then when my father introduced my mother to my grandmother, my grandmother took her from my father and said, until you can afford to take care of her, she stays with me. You don't. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> she did that, literally. Well, you know, well, so there sounds to be there was a lot of safety in that family. 
There was. Yeah. And I think that's what we're talking about. It's like safety. And if you're living in a situation right now where you're not feeling safe and you're, you're feeling worried about your kids, I want individuals to know there are safe houses where they, no one knows the address where you can be secreted there and, um, and you can get that respite to be in a safer place with yourself and your kids. And those kinds of shelters exist pretty much all over many places around the country. Bernita, we have many in LA. They're, they're in every state. Uh, The the states that have smaller populations, they're not as plentiful as they are in the Los Angeles area. The problem with the shelters is that they stay full. So it's difficult. So that's why that victim needs to make a plan. And we have shelters for men. We have shelters for men as well. So that's why they need to make a plan and or not get in the situation in the first place. I can't stress that Let's talk about that plan right now. We have just a few minutes left. So the plan means that you have a safety plan. And so that safety plan includes your driver's license. Your driver's license, all of your pertinent ID, your passports, if you have any, uh, access to your bank accounts, maybe a separate bank account. Uh, These are all the things that we show and go take them through in the classes that we have for them. We have parenting classes. We have um, financial classes. We also have anger management classes because some victims, they end up being angry and start acting that out instead of getting it addressed. So there are a number of things that have to be uh, put into place in, re- in getting the help that you need. And I do have the um, hotline number, the national hotline number. Can you, yes, you, can you say you that like for that. us? So what, what is the national hotline number? It's 1-800-799-7233. Can you say it one more time? 1-800-799-7233. That's the National Domestic Violence Helpline. So we really encourage you, if you're in a situation like this, to call and get help talk to them. You may not be ready to leave at this moment, but you can start preparing that plan of safety or the plan to leave um, or to get help if you, for whatever reason, feel that you need to stay and especially thinking about your children. So, Bernita, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. And I know that you have, I want to give you the opportunity to give out your your phone number again. You said people can call you directly. So, would you like to go ahead and, and say that out loud again? And I'm going to also give you the office number. Okay, why don't, you start, office number why don't you give the office number first? Okay, it is 323-291-2525. That's 323-291-2525. And then my direct number, as I said earlier, is 323-365-7742. And all, that, and all they would need to do is to also, if they want to go to your website, is just go to Project Peacemakers, Inc. And, you'll, and if you put that into Google, you'll, you'll, you'll get it. So, um, Bernita, again, I want to thank you. And I really, and listeners, we really want to say again, if you are in harm's way, please, please, please know please. that there is um, help available. I always like to say that, you know, adversity is not destiny. Bernita Walker has been through it and look what she has accomplished in her life and how she helps others. And just like you believe, you said in the beginning, Bernita, that there's a purpose for all of us. All of us. Sometimes our purpose comes from suffering and pain and yet it can 
and in love. So, Bernita, again, thank you so much. So, you're listeners, welcome, Elaine. Thank you. You're welcome. And until we meet again, remember what else is true in your life. If you're suffering right now, who who is there? It might be your faith. I can hear from Bernita. Her faith helped walk her through some of the dark times of her life, but it could be a friend. It could be as you look at your child and maybe want something different for them. Um, but reach out to someone, and we've given you some numbers, and Bernita, you're very gracious to give out your own number for people to call. So God bless you, Bernita. Until he we does, meet again. All the time. Yes, I can tell all the time. God bless you. Thank you so much. You too, Elaine. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. This is Elaine Miller Karras signing out for Resiliency Within. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within, with host Elaine Miller-Karras, is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.